0: Awesome, Your Awesome Podcast, episode number 104. Today on the show, Dr. Dara Abraham is here with us. Dr. Dara is a psychiatrist and leading expert for adults with ADHD. Some of her specialties include ADHD, ADD, anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorder, among other emotional difficulties. I am so honored and delighted to have Dr. Dara here with us, sharing her wisdom, expertise, and insights. Dr. Dara, thank you so much for being here. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Oh, I'm so excited to have you here. So Dr. Dara, let's get into your background. You are a psychiatrist. You specialize in ADD, ADHD, OCD, But give us some of your background, like why you got into this line of work. Yes, yes.
1: So I am a psychiatrist. I am also a patient. I have adult ADHD. I did not real well, I guess I found out in my mid-30s. I didn't really believe it in my early 30s when I first heard from a psychiatrist. And, you know, it just was really unfathomable. Due to the fact, how could I get through medical school? How could I get through undergrad, pre-med, all of that? But little by little, things started to make sense. And I was formally diagnosed at the end of my residency of psychiatry after my formal training, after basically the hard, difficult aspects of it were all completed. Um, But, you know, there was a long road before that.
0: Wow. And now, you know, I mean, what was that like? Were, was it just, it must have been so shocking to be specializing, going into this field, specializing. Were you already intending on specializing in this or not necessarily?
1: No. I mean, I went to medical school knowing that I was going into psychiatry. And I was one of the few who knew that that was, you know, why I was there. I don't know how I got through gross anatomy and other. Other, you know, medical topics that involved a lot of working memory and recall. But it was not until I would say my fourth, my third year of residency that I really was like, what is going on? Why are all these folks you know, women and young girls, why are they not getting better with the antidepressants, with the mood stabilizers? What else are we missing? Is it just personality disorders? Is it just undiagnosed mood disorders and not, you know, typical um, primary depression? Is, it, is there something else we're missing? And what I realized it was, it really was this underlying neuro, neurodevelopmental disorder in myself as well as in others.
0: Wow. And now let me ask you, I'm going to have some kind of, um, I hate to call them dumb questions. No, go for you know, it. For, uh, for those of us who don't know, and it seems like it's more prevalent now. So is it actually more prevalent or what's going on here? So no, I, what's going on is that it is more recognized. It's
1: always been there. It's been there s- For years, it's been there, you know, since the 1700s. it's always had different names. Um, Some of them are a little more derogatory in terms of um, like minimal brain and just very, you know, not so nice terms, but it has changed in the way that it's been described. It used to be really considered a hyperactive impulsive type of disorder, but there has been along the way some additions of the inattentive. At this point, there's still a lot of confusion, but it really, regardless of what type of ADHD you have, it's called ADHD and there's predominantly inattentive and then there's predominantly hyperactive impulsive and then there's combined type, which is all three of them. And so you group the hyperactive and the impulsive together, and then the inattentive really includes many other symptoms like focus, distractibility, motivation. People don't realize motivation is one of them. Regulation of time, of emotions, all of that. And so it hasn't, you know, it's been here. What the other change has been that it used to be recognized as a disorder of little, little boys. Little boys who are hyperactive and impulsive. And now we finally are recognizing it in somewhat in little girls, in you know, some of the hyperactive, talkative, the chatty Kathy little girl who won't be quiet, as well as you know, little girls who are really just daydreaming, who are not paying attention, but they're not disruptive. And then I would say the big other big thing that's going on is that it finally has been recognized as an adult disorder as well. There used to be some, you know, belief that most kids would outgrow it, and what we're learning is that that is not the case by any means. You know, I would say the new statistic is 75 to 85, 90 percent of how many kids go on to still have, you know, symptomology of of ADHD that affects their functioning. I would even believe that at least 99 percent, if not 100, have the symptoms throughout their life, sometimes they may not affect them in the sense where they've, they've, you know, skills, compensatory strategies to really compensate for any deficits as an adult. Or they just have really, you know, structure, or maybe their wife is more organized, or, you know, their partner is able to pay the bills, and they can just sit back and really work focus on what they're good at.
0: Wow. Okay. So now, you know, what are some of the common symptoms that are misinterpreted as uh, stress or something else? Yes, that's a great question. So really,
1: the one thing to really make clear is that the reason it's so hard to diagnose and why it's so hard to believe the diagnosis when you get one and to believe when your loved ones get one is that it's a spectrum. And it's not psychopathology the way depression is, or bipolar, or schizophrenia. It's actually just a different way that the brain develops. And that's why it's considered a neurodevelopmental disorder. And so all of us have symptoms of ADHD. And that's why it's easy to kind of just dismiss, oh, well, you know, I sometimes am forgetful, or I sometimes leave my keys in the door you know all these good things but not everyone, you know, some people may have one or two symptoms that are fleeting, come and go throughout their lives, but not everyone has, you know, 7 to 12 or 10 symptoms of both inattentive as well as hyperactive impulsive. And so really, you know, what's going on here is that the brain basically develops at a slower pace and so there's some delays in the executive function which is the front part of our brain. And basically it just makes it so there's a lot of, there's a lot of symptoms that are unknown to many people. So for example, regula- it's really a regulation disorder. So it's difficulty, people have difficulty regulating their time, their emotions, and their focus. So when you hear that saying, well, of course, you know, my partner doesn't have ADHD, you know, all he does is play video games. How could he have ADHD? Or my son watches TV when he wants to. Well, yes, because it's inconsistent focus. There's hyperfocus, like you get in a trance, like when, you know, usually the things that cause that hyperfocus are something that's interesting, something you're passionate about, something that's challenging. And the biggest thing is urgency. So the best way to make something urgent is to wait to the last minute and then your motivation and focus increases. And so with that, I think it's really hard, you know, to see that fluctuation, that inconsistency of focus. Um, and so that's really mislabeled as, you know. Personality characteristics, or, you know, the hyperactivity is mislabeled as anxiety. You know, anxiety really is if you ask someone, anxiety is a feeling of impending doom. So when I ask my folks, you know, what, tell me about this anxiety, tell me about the impending doom that you have going on, that feeling of angst, that, you know, those physical symptoms, they look at me like I'm nuts, you know, I'm, and, when we look into it further if if you know the doc or the the clinician doesn't ask the specific questions what do you mean by anxiety you i finally hear a lot of the time i feel overwhelmed there's not enough time i can't get things done and so that gets misdiagnosed unless you tease it apart don't get me wrong ADHD does not exist in a vacuum so many people have both i think more more often than not people are you know, not not misdiagnosed, but not diagnosed with with the right conditions, and all and things are left out. They're not complete, incomplete diagnoses, and so depression's the same thing. You know, people are of course going to get. You know, some secondary depression when they're not feeling good enough, when they're not feeling like they're productive, when they're not able to get things done, when they lose important things, forget meetings, feel like they're flaky. And so what comes first usually is the ADHD. Since you're born with ADHD, it just doesn't always affect your functioning and present as a disability, a disorder until certain times in someone's
0: life. Mm, wow, this is so fascinating. Now, so you're born with it, and it may be very mild, or it's there. And uh, so does it mean when it does present at an earlier age that it, it's actually a, a, like a stronger case of it? Or
1: more So popular? that's really great. That's a really great question. And I think that it's still, you know, not completely known. But what we do know is that usually when you have more significant symptoms at a younger age, there is maybe at least the symptoms that you do have are more impairing or the level of um, intensity of the symptoms and the frequency is more impairing. And so the chance of, you know, not, not requiring at least medication or maybe some psychosocial intervention that's you know, probably not going to be as likely as someone maybe in their 40s who develops, who finally realize after maybe their third child, you know, their focus is just spread too thin.
0: Mm, Wow. Okay. And now, Dr. Dara, tell me, um, you know, so you mentioned for those who don't know, can you kind of give us a clinical but simple definition of on the spectrum? Because this is so kind of, you know, thrown around yes. recently.
1: So so you mean on the spectrum in terms of what I was discussing? Yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I don't mean on the
1: spectrum in terms of like a, um, like a, like a autistic spectrum. I mean, so this is really, com- this is completely separate. That's a completely separate disorder. <clears throat> there are many people who have both. Um, but when I say spectrum, meaning it's a real, it's a heterogeneous disorder. And I, that's a fancy word for basically, you know, no snowflake looks alike. Every single person you meet is gonna look different. And I don't mean just a little bit different, a lot of it, you know, really, really different. And so, you know, I have, you know, multiple friends, close friends, you know, ADHDers, they hang out together and they all have a different variety of ADHD. You know, some are the obsessive, compulsive, you know, list making. Um, very talkative, excessive. And then there's others who are just kind of, you know, a little bit more flighty, a little forgetful, Um, still impulsive, but more hidden, more internal symptoms that are, you know, distressing. And so the spectrum really just means that, you know, my forgetfulness May, may not be a problem compared to someone else's forgetfulness, depending on where I am in my life. And so, you know, the if I was a surgeon, you know, a, a, let's say a neurosurgeon, being forgetful would be a little bit more impairing for myself, for my career, for my loved ones. But, you know, if someone is a stay-at-home mom, you know, leaving their I don't know, leaving their child's milk in the other room for a moment or, you know, not doing everything perfectly is okay, since you really just have to be good enough. And although that is one of the toughest jobs, but for an ADHD folk. So um, basically, the spectrum is just really different variation of symptoms and not just like you, you know, when you have, you know, 20 so symptoms, there's more but, and then you kind of just, it's like the rolling the die and putting them all, there's so many different combinations that you can get. And so it's really hard to just have one person with, you know, have the same exact set of symptoms and the same frequency and the same intensity. And that's why it's really hard to think of it almost to diagnose it or to identify it. And also the ADHD, even though it's always there, it doesn't always present. So it's not, it's not unheard of to have it be pretty bad, maybe in your early thirties, maybe. And then, you know, things become a little more routine. Kids go off to college. Everything's just a little more slow and your symptoms are not bothersome. And so that looks like the disorder is kind of going away, but it's not. It's just that your, you know, your ability to use your strategies, even if they're not, you know, even if they're not, they weren't they're just built in innate strategies are a little bit, the threshold to use them is higher because you're not spread so thin in terms of focus Mm. and responsibility.
0: And now what, you know, you mentioned like seven to 10 symptoms. So what can you just kind of list a few of the most common or like that maybe someone who, yeah, or even know.
1: Sure. Sure. So, most common are focus, distractibility. I'm st- I'm starting with the inattentive symptoms. So focus, distractibility. Um, so hyper-focus and inattentiveness, both. Um, motivation. So real like inc- like inconsistent motivation, lack of motivation, and sometimes just like hyper-motivation. Also um, forgetfulness. And then we also have Impulsivity, so impulsive behaviors, you know, also impulsive um, decisions. So, you know, overeating or kind of indulging in maybe some things that are not so great for you, gambling, um, using illicit substances, um, impulsive, hurtful words when fighting with your loved ones, Um, impulsively sending an email, a rash email to your boss. what else? And then we also have hyperactivity. So, you know, not being able to sit still, feeling fidgety. And adults, that really presents internally. So a mind, what we call it is a noisy brain, a brain that it doesn't shut off. It's usually filled with, you know, anxious thoughts. Um, that's where it can get really confused. But usually it's just that noisy brain. The noisiest time of the day is when you're not distracted. So usually that's before bed. So probably... The number, one of the biggest symptoms that adults with ADHD have is insomnia, and that's really not well known. So 80% of adults with ADHD have some sort of sleeping disorder, whether it's, you know, early insomnia, so trouble falling asleep, or middle of the night insomnia, fragmented sleep, or what's called, um, you know... Difficulties will lead in some, so difficulties waking up. They finally get into a deep sleep an hour before it's time to get up. There's also some restless leg syndrome that can be very common that can be disturbing to sleep. And so all these things are just symptoms, I would say, that are really, they're based on the core three areas of ADHD, which is the inattentiveness, the hyperactive and impulsiveness. But then there's also something called the executive dysfunctions. And so to simplify it, that is just, there's an area of the brain in the front part that basically holds all these functions that help us with goal-directed behavior. So what's stored there is things that it's not really a knowledge area. It's not, you know, who's the president of the United States and, you know, who, you know, geography questions, what state, what's the capital of Pennsylvania? It's not that. It's basically the ability to organize, to prioritize time management, regulation of emotions, patience, working memory. There's two different types. So that's basically, it's part of the short term memory and it's, the area of the brain that we use to hold, we hold information in there in our short-term memory while we do something else. So when someone gives you directions, you have to hold it in your brain and then you have to use it. And sometimes it's visual issues that people have or auditory. Usually one can be stronger than the other, but for most folks, they have at least some disturbance in working memory. And you see how that can really affect many adults. You know, if you leave something in another room, if you're not mindful, all these things that a brain without ADHD, it's more automatic. So with someone with ADHD, they have to think about all of these things. They have to learn how to prioritize. They have to learn how to organize. They have to learn how to break down tasks into smaller pieces, chunks. They That's not something they're innately you know, able to do. And that's just due to the fact that the brain is developed. These areas of the brain have developed slower and differently.
0: Okay. So based on what you've just shared right now, it seems, and I don't know, I'm sure you guys are doing, you know, clinical studies and there's data out there on this, but I mean, those symptoms, I feel like every adult I know has like one to two of those symptoms, right? So yes.
1: But the number one thing is, does it affect at least two areas of your life? And when I mean affect, meaning you are, you know, your work life has been really chaotic, meaning no matter what job, how many different employers you've had, you never can get your reports in. You never get your projects finished in time. You never, you know, make the calls. You're always weeks behind, hours behind. You're always being, you know, the only time that you really get anything done is when someone is holding you accountable. Um, This is why sometimes folks who go into the right professions, like, you know, ER physician, where it's based on sense of like prioritization and, you know, um, urgency, they end up doing well and maybe not even presenting maybe until they're retired. So really, and then it, you know, affecting just one domain like work isn't enough. It really needs to affect, you know, another area. So let's just say you're in school and also having difficulties with multiple subjects, not just one. Um, And then also interpersonally. I think the biggest thing about ADHD, which is missed it even kids as well, is the issues with, you know, really interpersonal skills. So it's really hard to have, to be really mindful and to listen when you can't focus, right? And so when you can't focus and listen to others, it's really hard to build relationships and to connect. And so that ADHD does not stop after school. It doesn't stop, you know, after work. It affects all relationships, relationships with your partner, with your loved ones, with your friends, with your colleagues, with your doorman, with your, you know, mailman, with everyone. And I, and, you know, usually there's just this issue of either it's a dysregulation. So either hyper emotional and too emotional and very sensitive or difficulty with emoting. And so that can vary. And so if it affects at least three, two areas, whether it's your interpersonal relationships and your work or home life or academic school, then and when I say impair, meaning, you know, most of the week, most of the days
0: are affected by this, then we consider it a disorder. Wow. Okay, that is really insightful here. Now what i i know you do a series like a lot of different types of treatment but what is kind of the the go to for treating adhd
1: yeah so it you know really fortunately it is a disorder that is very very well treated it responds to medications amazingly um, out of all the medic- medicines we have in all of medicine, it's probably one of the most efficacious types of medications, which is outstanding, especially in psychiatry. I mean, it doesn't even compare to antidepressants or anti-anxiety meds in terms of the efficacy. And so really the first line treatment for children, for you know, adolescents and for adults is medication. 80 to 90% of people will respond positively and effectively to medication. And when I say medication, the first-line treatment for six all the way up is stimulants. So there's two, basically, there's two basic types of stimulants, and everything falls under one of those classes. So there's the amphetamine class, and then there's the methylphenidate. So we'll start with the methylphenidate. Those are the drugs that we primarily reserve for children and adolescents, for no particular reason, since adults can tolerate and do well in them too, um, but are considered a little less potent. And that's the Ritalin, the Focalin, the Concerta, the Detrona. and then there's the amphetamine class, which we usually give more to adol- um, older adolescents and adults. And they're the Adderall, the Vyvanse, Dexedrine and really every drug that's been marketed falls under one of those they may be they they're delivered into the system a little bit differently some are patch some are liquid some are pills but ultimately they all do the same thing which is increase the chemical that's missing or deficient or low in an ADHD brain and that's called dopamine and that is the you know that's the chemical that's low, missing, deficient, and really that chemical is so important because you know it not only affects your ability to regulate your focus, but it also helps you with alertness. It helps you, it's the reward pathway. So people with, you know, ADHD have a lot of underlying issues with binge eating disorder, substance use. In car, you know, I would say there is a statistic of 50, I think 54% of incarcerated folks have undiagnosed ADHD. That's more than half. So, I mean, really, and then we also have, it also affects, you know, um, visuospatial, the set, the back part of the brain, there's dopamine, which is basically your ability to, um, you know, to basically have, um, God, like finesse and like um, really athletic and really like people can be clumsy. Not everyone. There are some folks who are just very athletic, but there's also a lot of people who are just not coordinated, who really have difficulties with eye eye coordination or just clumsy. And a lot of that can be related back to the ADHD. And
0: now, so as far as these uh, medications go, is it Are you, once you're diagnosed with this, are you kind of on, do you have to be, or does it ever go away? Can it ever kind of go away on its own? Will the medications help kind of treat it and have it go away or?
1: No. So it's not a, so the medications work when you take them and they're out of your system by the end of the day. And then there's no residual effect, positive or negative. Some... So coping skills and so what we call executive skill training and, you know, what's called cognitive behavioral therapy, which is the type of therapy that's really helpful, can cause long-lasting changes and help, you know, some of the symptoms of ADHD, especially those executive functions. However, the core symptoms of focus, distractibility, um, hyperactivity, impulsivity, really you're based on that lack of the right chemical in the brain the right level at the right time and unless you're going to provide sufficient continuous dopamine you know it's really hard to see any of these symptoms really go away what can happen is based on your you know level of functioning and what you have going on in your life it can seem subjectively that your your symptoms are not as impairing at different points of your life
0: And now, um, Dr. Dara, let me ask you, uh, you know, because on the outside, it seems like people are talking more about ADHD and it's less, um, you know, it's not seen as such a bad thing or looked at less negatively. We're having like more open dialogue. Is that the case for you? Do you see that on like from the inside as an expert?
1: I see both. I definitely see that there is more openness. I think that there, you know, especially, you know, it's been a double-edged sword with TikTok. It's been really helpful. I have a lot of folks who come to me due to things they saw on social media platforms like TikTok. Um, And there has been this decreased stigma for many, especially, you know, certain demographics. But there still are many folks who you know given their background their family life maybe their socioeconomic status there's still a stigma there's still this you know it it's really hard to get a diagnosis it's really hard to look past what they're presenting with which is depression and anxiety there's many folks who literally tell me I you know I've always thought there was something like this but I didn't want to seem drug seeking you know, if my my physician, my psychiatrist didn't bring it up. how Why should I bring it up? That's going to sound bizarre, especially when the first line treatment is a controlled substance. And so with that said, I think it's hard to, to be completely clear of the stigma due to the fact that, you know, it's nerve wracking on both ends in terms of the patient starting a medication that has the possibility to, you know, be considered You know, something you could be dependent on for the rest of your life, as well as, you know, physicians who, unfortunately, most folks, clinicians, physicians, psychiatrists, even are not well trained or well versed in adult ADHD or even ADHD in children. You know, I would say I had probably in my residency of psychiatry, I probably had one to two small mini lectures on ADHD, and this was just related to children.
0: And so in the same has got to be the case for um, mental health, right? That's more being spoken of more, but it seems like there's less of a stigma. But are you finding that people are more uh, open to getting treatment (laughs) Yes, I mean,
1: I do think overall for most things, I mean, I think there's some disorders that still have a stigma attached to them, but I think just the general laid term of anxiety is a little bit more accepted. I think that it's still hard for people to discuss, you know, social anxiety or having a panic disorder, but I do think that you know, there is, especially, you know, um, historically, it's easier to kind of discuss something that happened. Maybe I, you know, have had episodes of postpartum. I think it's becoming most, you know, people saying I've had depression in the past or postpartum depression. Um, So there's definitely been change, I think, with social media, with, you know, the awareness. I think that, you know, even celebrities being more honest and open and just, you know, knowing that, you know, it doesn't define you, and that there is treatment. And I think mostly also, you know, a lot of just understanding that a lot of this is genetic. And so, you know, a lot of times we really have just been listening to our families. And, you know, if a parent already has undiagnosed ADHD, it's going to be really hard for them to bring their children in for an assessment when they think it's just part of their a characteristic, like a flaw or just a quirk. And so I think now that there's more conversations happening amongst like colleagues and friends, there's more likely to be some eyes on folks where it's, oh, no, I don't do that. You know, your your mother and father and sister and brother may all do that, but your work colleagues don't, your friends don't. And so it's more likely to be noticed and not thought of as just
0: normal. And now for you, as um, a doctor treating people, what can you tell people, somebody who's maybe on the fence about going to get treatment, they're scared, they don't know what to expect, what guidance do you have for that person?
1: Yeah, so I, I think number one, it's never too late to be diagnosed. It doesn't mean we have to throw medications at you. I think just the diagnosis in itself can be helpful. Just the normalization, the the boost to the self-esteem, not blaming not blaming yourself, the shame and guilt that goes along with this un this misdiagnosis is so powerful. And I think just getting that diagnosis is important. I also think that you know if you choose to start medications knowing that you know it's a trial and error and it doesn't mean you're gonna feel like you you know you're on 10 cups of coffee And by no means, if you were maybe diagnosed as a child and you felt like a zombie when they medicated you, most likely that just means you were overdosed a little, you know, not intentionally, but it just means you got to go slow. And when I say slow, real micro doses, the biggest issue that happens is that patients are started on really pretty significant doses. And then they have awful side effects, like, you know, decreased appetite, trouble sleeping, and those acclimate if you start slow. And then the other issue is that once they do acclimate, the dose is not increased enough. And so they stop working or they just feel like they're useless. And so we just have to optimize these doses in adults and start slow, just as slow as children. Mm-hmm.
0: And what do you what advice can you give to people as a patient like if somebody's coming in what do they need to be asking their clinician or their doctor Yeah so I think you have to advocate for yourself
1: you really want to do your research you really want to find someone who at least has an open mind, who may not be, it doesn't mean they have to be completely well-versed. I mean, that in adult ADHD or ADHD, but it would be nice. But if you can find that, really find someone who's open-minded, who's really willing to listen to you, to take the time to tease apart what's going on. Um, Even some child and adolescent psychiatrists will see adults and they have some more expertise in, you know, ADHD, And then also sometimes, you know, and I'm hoping more and more, I'm hoping to, you know, get the kind of help, you know, family practitioners, primary care physicians, you know, become more um, confident in assessing, diagnosing and treating since, you know, it can get expensive to see, you know, out of network or even it can can take time to get on a wait list for an in-network, you know, to use your insurance in-network. Clinician. The other thing to mention is, you know, I, I do love neuropsych exams where you do a battery of, you know, tests and you get to see what areas of your brain are, you know, impaired, but it's not always necessary for an adult. You know, it can be very expensive and it's just not always necessary for children adolescents. I mean, it's definitely helpful in terms of rolling out or making sure there's no, you know, dyslexia or learning disorders. But for an adult, sometimes just making that appointment with your psychiatrist or a physician or a general practitioner, it is, a, you can get the diagnosis and you can get the treatment. It is a clinical diagnosis. And what that means, it's not based on a test. There's no gold standard test. It's based on an in-depth, you know, um, basically in-depth interview. And when I say in-depth, meaning of yourself, of your childhood of your carrot functioning and also of some partner of some family member who could give, who can give the provider some collateral information just because, you know, everyone has blinders. And so sometimes including a family member can be very helpful to the clinician. Mm
0: -hmm. And now, um, you know, is it, um, and not to be like a Debbie Downer here and still fair in people, but, if this goes undiagnosed, can it lead to other things? Definitely. I mean, I would say that, you know, what I see is that
1: the the misdiagnosis, undiagnosed ADHD in adults really leads to depression. It leads to um, insecurities. It leads to eating disorders. It leads to substance use. It leads to divorce. It leads to incarceration. It leads to motor vehicle accidents. It leads to legal problems. It leads to financial ruin. It leads to, I mean, it it can even lead to, unfortunately, death. I mean, and unfortunately, this is not a disorder that's, you know, benign. This disorder really, really can affect someone's life. And, you know, unfortunately, I think that it has just been hidden and really, not
0: addressed and not taken seriously. Mm. Okay, well, first of all, Dr. Dara Abraham, you have been so amazing and so insightful. And I just thank you so much for your time and all of your wisdom and uh, insights you've shared. Of course. Thank you for having me. Oh, you were awesome. It was so great. I think people are going to have so much uh, great information and takeaways there. Uh, now, in closing, Dr. Dara, there were one thing you would like to leave us with, just your message for everyone out there. What would that be?
1: Yes. If any of this resonates, please get the help. Just reach out. And if you are turned down or if you're dismissed by your doctor, by your partner, by your mother, or father, keep looking for help because it's out there and you can find it.
0: Hmm. That was awesome. You've been amazing. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank you for having me. Thank you.